0: Welcome back to Keeping It Current, and I have to give a huge thank you to the listeners of last week's episode. And I've got good news for you, as this week's episode is just as good, with more ranting, more debating, and most importantly, more corny jokes. This week we're joined by young Tory Matthew Dean. The young Tories are currently an endangered species, so if you can keep giving, the young Tories will live to fight another day. And ladies and gents, please give a whoop, holler and cheer for our political analyst, Jacob Reed. Thank you very much, Thomas. Glad to be back. This week, we'll be discussing whether the voting age should be lowered. First, we'll talk about the advantages that lowering the voting age would bring. The current law states that you can vote at the age of 18, but there are campaigns to lower the voting age of 16. And in many other countries, the voting age is 16. Jacob, why do you think that the voting age hasn't been lowered in the UK? Um, That's an interesting question. I
1: think if you look at the countries, yes, there are countries in which you can vote at the age of 16. The biggest example, I think, comes with Germany. You can vote in federal but not general elections at the age of 16. But I think it's fair to say that if the UK was to lower the voting age, um, it really would be taking a lead. So I think perhaps... um, Perhaps it's quite a new phenomenon. Um, I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry, Thomas. Jacob,
0: you're fired! (laughs) Okay, yeah, I I believe that there are many benefits to lowering the voting age. For example, it would increase participation as more people will be enabled to participate in key votes which affect them so much more than some of the people who are able to vote. Also, uh, they're they're responsible as you're allowed to drive at 17, you can have sex at 16, and you can also have a job at 14. Those are pretty big responsibilities. So they... what,
1: what we're talking about is Mr. Ridley here. He's got a job, he's got a wife, he's got a baby, and but <laughs> he cannot
0: vote. Oh, oh yeah, Jacob, you hitting the nail on the head of there. No, who's uh, a lucky lady? <laughs> uh, that's that's understairs here. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, you're not finding out today. Okay, there's a pretty big responsibility as they bring you into the adult world. If you're responsible to driving a car, which can be a killing machine, depending on who's behind the wheel. If you are, Thomas. <laughs> Jacob, those are some <laughs> massive responsibilities for young people. Why do you believe that the voting age is higher than the age that you're able to take on these massive responsibilities. Um, I I mean,
1: that's the main argument, I think, of people who want the voting age to be lowered. I, I mean, as I said, I was joking, but really you can have someone who is married, who is serving for this country, who has a child, who is paying taxes, are or legally have a legal age to do so, and yet they cannot vote. I mean, equally, there are there are quite a lot of things that you cannot do until you're eighteen, and it seems to be that officially, at least, that is still the age of responsibility in the UK. But there does seem, you know, as you mentioned, driving at seventeen, uh, marrying at sixteen. There, there does seem to be a kind of a level of inconsistency about it.
0: Yeah. So. You see, in some elections and referendums, turnout is um, extremely low. For example, the referendum on whether there should be a London Mayor and London Assembly in um, 1997,
1: was it? Yes, something, 1997,
0: '98, something <laughs> like that. was a mere uh, 34%, and the referendum on using the AV electoral system in uh, 2011 only had a turnout of 42.2%. Jacob, do you think that turnout would increase if the voting age was lowered? I mean, again, this is another interesting question. I think, um,
1: yes, the number of people voting would increase because it would make the franchise much bigger, or slightly bigger. Uh, Whether or not the percentage turnout would increase, that's a a completely different question because if you look at the trends, um, without fail... Without fail, older voters vote much more in much greater numbers than younger voters. So if you move a franchise from starting at 18 to starting at 16, um, would those 16 and 17 year olds, would they vote like old people? Would 90% of them vote? Or would they vote like the rest of the young people? Would they vote like 60%? But I think it's another interesting question because we're stuck, I believe at the minute, in a vicious circle that young people aren't voting, certainly not in the numbers of older voters, and as such, political parties make minimal effort to appeal to younger voters. That's why students are getting nine grand tuition fees a year because of this period of austerity, but all of the uh, older people are keeping their free bus pass, their, their fuel allowance, etc, etc. It's because old people vote, the political parties want to woo them. So I think the question is, if you lower the voting age and you show young people that their voices can be listened to, will be listened to, and that they are valuable in our political system, um, does that allow us to break out of that vicious circle? And does does it allow us to get a stronger turnout, not only among 16 to 17 year olds, but among lower generations more generally? And that's a big question. And frankly, Thomas, I don't know, but what I would point to you, to you two, and I think you're going to mention this, is a Scottish independence referendum. 2014, 16 and 17 year olds were able to vote, and admittedly, they still voted in lower numbers than older people, but a massive turnout in the 70s, if not 80s
0: uh, uh, percents. So that's an interesting question. Yes, so you didn't mention about the Scottish independence referendum, we will come on to that later in the show. So now it's time to talk about the disadvantages lowering the voting age would bring. For every advantage there's a disadvantage and it's no different when it comes to whether the voting age should be lowered. Some would argue that young people are unlikely to vote due to the fact that you get very low turnouts from the younger generation. For example, only 44% of 18 to 24-year-olds voted in the 2010 general election, while the turnout, overall turnout, was 65%. Jacob, why do you think we get figures that are this low in things that affect the, the young people so much? I
1: mean, I, I, as I said before, I think we are stuck in this vicious, vicious cycle, and I think that's something to do with it. I think there are a couple of other things you can point to. I think perhaps young people are seeing a lack of political education, political knowledge, knowledge political awareness. And they it comes to election time, they have the vote and they say well I don't know how to vote. I don't know what the different people stand for. I don't know what the difference is. I don't know why I would vote. And um, so maybe there needs to be more focus put on uh, political education in schools. I think another reason for the low turnout is that young people they have a different way of engaging with democracy and engaging with the political process. You know. M- So your 75-year-old conservative grandma isn't likely to go on Facebook and like a couple of political posts and isn't likely to set up a petition on change.org or the government's website. But a young person might. By contrast, we know that that 75-year-old Tory grandma is much more likely to vote and seemingly the younger people aren't. So there's a question, you know, is, is there much of a difference between the participation um, as much of a difference as the statistics for voting
0: suggests, and I'm I'm not sure. Yes, so on the other hand, there was a so-called youth quake in the 2017 general election, but the turnout of 18 to 24-year-olds in the 2017 general election was hovering at around 60%. And when you compare that to the turnout of over 70s, which was 84%, it's it's huge, the difference. You know, you just like see massive gaps. It's like you know, like when Moses went along and piped the Red Sea. It's like that bigger gap. So uh, what we got to see, we got to put that into context here. It's like when you have a small person stood next to Peter Crouch. You have to know what he said. Peter Crouch, thank you very much for listening. Now now it's time to turn off. So yeah so the the small person is the turnout of the younger voters and Peter Crouch is the turnout of the older voters so uh, Jacob what are the reasons behind the increase in youth voters turnout but why do you think that youth voter turnout isn't as high as the old voter turnout?
1: Yes yeah, so in in 2017
0: um, there was certainly a lot of
1: noise made about Jeremy Corbyn appealing to the young people. You know, you had his, what, uh, what I think you could say, his flagship policy um, in what was the Manifesto that was the flagship of their entire campaign, and that was to scrap tuition fees. Who does that affect? That affects young people. You had uh, Jeremy Corbyn going to Glastonbury. You had artists like Stormzy endorsing him. And so you really did have what felt like a big, big, big push for young people getting involved in the election. And indeed, the figures show, as you said before, it was about 40% youth turnout, uh, 18 to 24-year-olds in 2010 compared to 60-something percent in 2017. That's an undeniable increase. But the point is that this youth quake that was promised didn't really materialise, because yes, the youth vote went up, but overall turnout went up, and older vote turnout went up. So so that that's interesting to analyse. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. I think I would point to what, I, what I've what i said previously. You know, um, in this vicious circle, young people not knowing about politics, young people, um, certainly they, they, the top conservatives didn't try to woo them, and I think Tim, Tim Farron only did by, by saying they could have their weed or whatever. Um, but, which brings a smile to Thomas's face. Uh, let me say to our listeners at home, maybe he has a vested interest in that.
0: Um, oh, don't worry, I'm not one of them so-called drug pushers, as they say nowadays, but no, I'm not at all, so... Jacob, your accusations <laughs> are false. You would be an absolute horrific policeman, I've got to tell you. I can just see the smirk on your face right now. It's absolutely... It's just a picture, to be honest.
1: Can I can I clarify to the guests at home? Uh, this is not, not so much a Guest, smirk... it's listeners, Listeners, guests. Listeners, I'm sorry. To the listeners at home, this is more of a gentle, gentle grin and smile than a smirk.
0: Okay, so <laughs> lowering the voting age may also increase the amount of wasted votes. As some voters may be less educated on political matters than others are. This may lead them to not using their votes, and that would result in, a, in small turnouts. Also, it could result in more votes for the people who are popular instead of the people, people who would be better leaders of the country. Jacob, do you think lowering the voting age would affect results of elections? Um, I mean Thomas, you raise valid points and they are some
1: key arguments used by people again who are against lowering the voting age. But I think you've got to acknowledge um you quite quite simply, you've got many adults who vote um and who don't have a greatly vast political knowledge or who vote because of who is popular appeals popular to them as opposed to who they think would really be the best to lead the country. So I think, um, I think you are on a, a very slippery slope when you say you know, you've you got to have a certain intelligence to vote or you've got to have a certain political understanding to vote. Because if you're doing that, maybe half of 16- of and 17-year-olds would be able to vote and half of 30- to 40-year-olds wouldn't. Um, so So, yeah, I think, as for the results of general elections themselves, if you look at the figures, there is an undeniable, unmistakable uh trend in that young people are significantly more likely to vote Labour than Conservative. And it stands to reason, therefore, if you increase the voting age to younger voters, that the Labour vote would increase. However, again, you've got to ask for turnout. If there's a relatively low turnout among 16 and 17-year-olds, then this effect Really, wouldn't have much of a difference. Consider as well that we're having we're, we're having an ageing population, so perhaps that's naturally swaying towards the um, towards the conservatives. And as well, finally, what I would say, Thomas, is at the minute, at the minute, Labour is much more popular with young people because at the minute, Labour and not the Conservatives is the one trying to appeal to young people. But if these sixteen and seventeen year olds get the vote and they start using that vote in numbers then quite simply the Tories and all the other political parties will have no choice but to try and tailor their policies to young people as well in which case could be a much different picture to the one we saw last year and the one we're seeing in
0: current politics today Thomas okay thank you very much Jacob now it's time to discuss how lowering the voting age has affected other countries in 2007 Austria lowered their voting age to 16 and were the first member of the EU. As a result of this, more 16 to 17-year-olds voted than 18 to 21-year-olds in Austria. Also, Austria have the youngest leader in the world with 32-year-old Sebastian Kurz. And if you listened to last week when we talked about how Britain's political party leaders are a bunch of old saggy grapes then you can see that is very young for a leader so jacob do you think he was elected as a result of 16 and 17 year olds being able to vote um
1: um i've got to admit thomas and please don't sack me for this Uh, my my knowledge of austrian politics isn't quite up to scratch so I i won't want to speak with too much authority on the matter um You you can see a certain appeal, you know, if young people are getting engaged with politics earlier, perhaps that leads to them becoming politicians earlier, becoming prime ministers earlier. Uh, And you can see as well, young people probably can relate more to someone of 32 than of 72, you know, they'll have had similar experiences, uh, a similar worldview, a more similar uh, everyday life. But what I would also say is that... um, bear in mind the so-called youthquake around Jeremy Corbyn. And Jeremy Corbyn, I'm not entirely sure how old he is, but uh, with, with a uh, great respect... Sig- 69 years 69. old. 69, and with great respect, you know, he, he's getting on a bit. So I, I think, I think uh, uh, probably, um, you know, young people voting might produce younger politicians, um, but equally, that's not to say young people will,
0: will only vote exclusively for, for, for younger politicians. Yes, also, there's been a rise in the right wing in Brazil, and the voting age was lowered. it was quite a while ago, to 16, in 1988. Do you think that 16 and 17-year-olds being able to vote is a factor in the rise of the right wing in Brazil? i mean again i'm i'm not so hot on my
1: Brazilian politics um obviously, what we can say here is that um if anything the voting of sixteen and seventeen year olds and uh, same in America would lead to a a more left wing result but in Brazil, i mean you had an absolutely extraordinary election. Um, in which it was it was very far right wing against very far left wing, and, uh, and the far right wing candidate, who was one. He said he doesn't care about uh, preserving rainforests, etc., and has said some really quite despicable things about women. So I think I I think it's what happened in Brazil was a remarkable election which. Uh, was probably affected more by other factors than age, but it would be interesting to analyze
0: how how younger people voted. Yeah, on a similar thing, do you, do you, you know like in twenty fifteen, like I feel like there's a lot of maybe in general because Mary, well, I was at school, so uh, well I am still at school, but at the time people at school were quite supportive of UKIP, who were a right wing party. Do you think that fifth um, like Sixteen, seventeen-year-olds. Did do you think that they they would have supported UKIP if they had the vote? Uh, I mean, again, I
1: think if you look at um, if you look at all of the statistics, they they show that in this country, young people vote vote Labour in great, great numbers. Um, I I think in terms of UKIP, I think you got to acknowledge that twenty fifteen was. Um, somewhat of an outlier for UKIP in that they did particularly well. It was a culmination of maybe of a generation of anti-EU feelings, and feelings perhaps that there, there had been too much immigration. So I think they could have got support from young people, but I'm not sure whether that's a trend we would observe over a long period of time.
0: Yeah, just for you scientists out there, I believe that UKIP result was, using my great scientific terminology, An anomalous result. Boom! (laughs) Okay, now it's time to discuss about the impact that Votes at 16 had on the Scottish Independence Referendum. The Scottish Independence Referendum in 2014 was the first referendum in the UK that 16 and 17-year-olds were allowed to vote in. In my opinion, that was a brilliant decision, as it was on such an important issue, which would have changed their future if it had been voted for. The Scottish independence referendum also had an extremely high turnout of 84.6%. Jacob, do you think that this was down to lowering the voting age to 16? I mean, in terms of... Uh, in, in... In terms of a turnout, young people still
1: voted uh, in, in smaller numbers than older people. But what we saw in the Scottish independence referendum was something really uh, unprecedented. That was the highest turnout in any poll in this country, certainly in the post-war period, uh, beating any other referendum, any other election. Um, and young people crucially were included in that I, I think um, you know young people voting in the kind of mid 80%, say 80-85% which is a remarkable turnout there was certainly a sense a strong sense of excitement and engagement in Scotland with the issue, with the uh, referendum and that was carried over to young people, I mean t- to be honest you, what, what you said there Thomas about having, having an issue which affects them in the future, uh, you do have calls now over Brexit, you young people, especially people who have turned 18 since the Brexit vote, saying our futures were stolen from us. And it's an interesting question, because ultimately, uh, in terms of the Scottish independence referendum, had they voted to leave, 16 and 17 year olds would have to live with the consequences of that for the longest. I- I'm not entirely on board um, with this idea as anything more than an observation, because then do you do you cap an age when, but when, when you get older than that, you stop voting. Um, but but yeah, uh, I I do think it's interesting though how that set the precedent. Um, for 16 and 17-year-olds voting in referendums in the UK. Then we have, of course, the Brexit referendum two years later, UK-wide, and 16 and 17-year-olds couldn't vote. So I'm I'm not entirely sure for the reasons why that was the case. I know the SNP support votes at 16. Uh, in, in some elections in Scotland, you do vote at 16, and so perhaps that, that's the reason.
0: Uh, but it's very interesting, very interesting um, to analyse. Yeah, just to point out on you saying the SNP support votes at 16, I think Lib Dems had it in their manifesto last year, did they? I think so, and of course Labour did as well, and I think the
1: Greens. Most of the political parties are on the left. On the left, I think.
0: Yeah, because as you said before, well, if you have it, as you said all throughout today's episode, a lot of um, people who are young generally vote for the left parties, not for the right hand, like right, right wing. So it's just it will obviously. Under a conservative regime, we'll never get um, uh, votes at sixteen because of uh, it won't benefit them in any matter at all. Well, I think I I agree with you to a point. I think under this
1: conservative regime, certainly not. Um, What's the saying? "Turkeys vote don't vote for Christmas." The Conservatives say no, they're absolutely bombing with this age group. They wouldn't extend the franchise to it. Um, but I think I think as well there is a slight cynicism about the idea that political parties either support or don't support votes at 16 purely because of what's in their electoral interest. You know, I think there is an element of uh, you know, do they think it would improve overall engagement? Uh, do they think um, well? well what, what do they think is a sensible
0: age of responsibility? Uh, things like that. Yeah, so I believe that, you know, the Scottish... Back on the Scottish independence referendum. So, now, so... Back back on peace, as they say. Back scheme. on to the Scottish independence referendum.
1: And if uh, the listeners at home didn't tell that was my Scottish accent, which I've been told is so bad it borderlines on racism... I'm, so- I'm sorry to escort Spreebot if you're listening to this and you are offended. I'm very sorry, mate. <laughs> that's, definitely...
0: that's, that's, that, that, was, that was kind of hinging on French a bit there, I felt, for a time.
1: I think, ladies and gentlemen, I think if I'm not sacked for incompetence, I'm going to be sacked for offending half of our listenership. I,
0: I am sorry. Yeah, so okay. I don't believe that the um, promotional material has gone as far as north of the border, Jacob. So I think the jobs in um. Uh I think your job's safe, to be honest. I don't think you'd be down job centre plus tomorrow morning with you, with your little briefcase and. In with know, your so I've, got, like, oh. I've got a family to feed, Thomas. You know, I'm sixteen. I've got a family to feed. Hey, yeah, you no, know, you can drive down in your car, like everything like that. Me, me. <laughs> okay, so moving, um, moving back on peace. <laughs> yeah, moving back, moving back on peace. Um, yeah, we're we're now back in line, just sat now's directions. So I believe that the Scottish independence referendum shown that if politics is brought into the mainstream for young people young people will go and vote. If you get people who are recognisable and relatable to young people, involved in campaigns, then I think young people will go and pop that truss in the box. Hey, yeah. And there will be further campaigns for Vote 616. Jacob, do you agree with my opinion?
1: Your opinion that Vote
0: 616 is a good thing? No, you just completely zoomed out there, Jacob, yeah. It's a P45 in the post tomorrow, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're definitely fired this time. I'm like Lord Sugar, yeah, so you're fired. Thank you, Lord
1: Sugar, for the opportunity. I no, look forward to going on
0: your Fired and talking with Rod Gilbert. I no, look question- forward to
1: get leaving, I know no one leaves You're Fired empty-handed. I look forward to my
0: gift. No, the question was, again, I'm just saying that... If you get people who are recognisable and relatable... Yeah, 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 sorry, sorry,
1: yeah. Um, I, I did hear that. I, I didn't realise it, it was a question. Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's probably true for, for most people. About bringing politics into the mainstream, I think there is an argument to be made that sometimes, sometimes politics is a bit too mainstream. I think at the minute... Brexit, 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 you hear about nothing else in the newspapers, the politicians seem to be talking about nothing else in Brexit, doing nothing else in Brexit. And I think you can observe a very strong voter apathy as a result of that. So. Uh, you know, some people, like Brenda from Bristol, who said, you know, oh, not another one when Theresa May called that staff election last year. Uh, I, I mean, I think you, there are two extremes. You know, there is not voting at all or voting once every five years for an MP. And on the other extreme, there's hearing about something every single goddamn day. Um, but, I mean, if you find a happy balance, where well, you know, politics, it's fair. You can talk about it. You can engage with it to a reasonable extent, but yeah, I don't see why young people can't be included with that. Throw in a couple of celebrities,
0: uh, Thomas, yourself included, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as you say, uh, people can argue about politics as well. So you've missed something out there, Jacob. So, yeah, as you said about Brexit referendum, you just hear about it all the day. I'm huh? just like, um, switch on the news, Brexit, switch on the... Um Any comedy show, you'll hear some of it about Brexit, you know. Even in the football, Premier League, in the Premier League now, talking about Brexit. Politics has been brought into every, like, people's mind this year. And and it's just, um, obviously...
1: If I can make, um, uh, and people who know me will appreciate the great efforts I'm going to do this, if I can make a football Brexit pun, I would say that Sterling has taken a dive.
0: (laughs) Ho ho ho. oh. Backer than that. If, if if there was a microphone here, I would drop it and walk out. But there isn't. <laughs> okay, yeah. And also, um, I got I, I, like a few weeks ago. I went to a concert. Go there thinking night away from Brexit, night away from the news. It was it was YouTube, by the way. And Bono is known for being extremely political. Uh, which I, I should have expected this, but halfway through one of the songs, uh, a flag of the EU comes rolling down. You just can't get away from. Brexit in the moment, obviously. And, uh, guys, cheeky plug for next week, yeah? Cheeky plug. Ooh. Uh, what we're have we, gonna, what we gonna got now? Uh, next week's episode, we are discussing about Brexit, which is going to be a real blockbuster. Get the popcorn
1: ready, you know, get on that sofa, turn the heating up, get the popcorn ready, get the pizza out.
0: Um, look forward to it. Okay, so uh, thank you, Jacob, for some tip-top... top-notch... Oh, my new catchphrase, that. Tip-top, top-notch analysis there. Now it's time for this week's interview with special guest Matthew Dean. Please welcome this week's special guest, Matthew Dean. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you for taking time out of your fox hunting. Oh, well... (laughs) And it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. So, Thank you. For, The first question
2: is: What are your opinions on the voting age? Well, well the voting age at the moment obviously eighteen. Uh, I think it's a good benchmark. Um, at the moment, I don't think there's any desperate change, desperate needs to change it. In mean, these troubled times of Brexit that we're going through, um, certainly should not be uh, made made higher. I think it's eighteen's kind of a, a good balance between um, kind of how sensible the voter is that can make a proper choice and not being kind of too high as well. So I think, I think we're, we're currently, um, it's okay. We're not in desperate need to change it at all.
0: Okay, so do you think that v- lowering the voting age would benefit the UK? Um,
2: I mean, I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. It depends what you mean by benefit the UK. In a way, it would benefit certain political parties. It wouldn't benefit the Conservatives. Um, it, it Obviously, I think that, that's a that's a big reason why we actually keep it at 18. Um, it would benefit the Labour Party and the Lib Dems and the Green Party because they're all attracting, you know, younger voters. Um, and I think I think a, a big reason why um, they're they're attracting younger voters is because they want to lower the voting age to sixteen. Um, I, it, it helps them. In it would help the, those political parties, but it wouldn't help the Conservatives. So when you say help the country, I'm not sure if if it would actually help the country as a whole. I mean. Maybe it would. I think in I think in Scandinavia, um, in Norway, Sweden, uh, you can vote at age sixteen, and obviously yeah. in a Scottish Independence referendum, you could. And we we see there that that sixteen-year-olds are making um, a completely uh, rational choice. Uh, they know what they're voting for. Yeah. I mean, especially in the Scottish Independence referendum. I mean, it was it was uh, there was no kind of. It was it wasn't like Brexit where there was uh, mm-hmm. lots of different routes that could go down. And it was independence, so it wasn't independence.
0: Yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. So, um, why do you think the Conservatives don't support lowering the voting age? <laughs> I
2: think I've already answered that question for you there. It, it, simply, it doesn't benefit us. And I think a lot of the thing about the Conservative Party is that, that we conserve. We conserve things that have happened in the past. We conserve history. And obviously, the voting age has been 18 for a long, long time. Um, I, think, I think that's it. It's kind of conservatism with a big C there in that uh, we need to conserve what's current, what currently is the status quo, I suppose.
0: So on your like affiliation with the Conservatives, mm-hmm. why did you decide
2: to join them? Uh, well, I originally only wanted to say to join a uh, to sorry to join a political party so I could vote in the leadership election. Because um, I mean, <laughs> you see, you see with the Labour Party when said were, when they announced leadership election, the, the membership shot up and it's now at five hundred thousand, half, half a million members. Um, with the Conservatives, you have to be a member for three months before you can vote in a leadership election. So whether, I've been a member for a month now, so I mean, whether we have to hold on a couple of months or whether there'll be a leadership election around about Christmas, I probably won't be able to, I won't be able to vote in that. Um, but I wanted to join a political party, obviously, originally, so I could, so I could vote in leadership elections, but I've became more interested in kind of local issues, I'm hoping to go down to a couple of the meetings. Uh, recently in Carlisle, the number of councillors has been lowered from 50 to uh, 36, I think. Um, which which is which is good. I support um the number of MPs being lowered from six six hundred loads, yeah. six hundred down to two or three hundred. I mean, the House of Lords is even worse. The, the, that that got drastically lowered a, a while ago. Yeah. Um, but I think I wanted to join a political party so I could get more involved, and the Conservatives is the one for me.
0: Okay, yeah, that's um very good propaganda for the conservative party i think there'll be a, a paycheck to you in the post uh, possibly
2: possibly <laughs> so have uh, to see
0: so how can the conservatives encourage
2: young people like you yeah. to become members well i think what young i think we're not an exciting party at any stretch and i think what young people need to understand is that so- socialism the labor party uh, it's very exciting. I mean, the Green Party seems like a boogie bus, to be honest with you, ah. uh, but the socialism at the moment and the Labour Party is much more exciting. But I think what young people have got to understand is that with systemic change, good isn't brought, uh, good isn't bought, sorry. Um, we, we did an A-level politics class about, and Mr Martin tells us about the organism um, how if the, the constitution's like an organism, if you change it too, too much, you, you'll destroy it.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I think you've got to kind of identify the single issues and work around them from there rather than, you know, bring in systemic change. I mean, there's lots of things in the conservative, uh, lots of conservative policies I don't agree with. I mean, first past the post, we only support that really because it benefits us. Uh, it's, it's mad how yeah. UKIP can get 13% and get 0.2% of the seats and the Green Party and the Lib Dems were underrepresented and then how the SNP were really overrepresented. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: but I, that's, that's one thing I think young people need to understand that y- you can't bring good with systemic change, with radical yeah. change, and they need to work around single issues.
0: OK, so as you're a member of the Conservative Party, who would you vote for in a legislative <laughs> election?
2: Oh, oh wow. Um, that's a really difficult one, to be honest with you. Um, I've said in the past I think I think uh, Ruth Davidson would be would be really good if we voted to remain and Sajid Javid as well I mean because that links into um, how we can attract young people to the party because I think if we had someone like uh, how like Ruth Davidson who's an open lesbian and Sajid Javid who who's like um who's civically British it shows that we are much more kind of um, open because there's the view on the uh, Conservatives is being like conservatism with a big C if you know what I mean and Given, how do I say that's 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 difficult, really. How the how uh, we're not very tolerant, and uh, when we are, I mean, look, we've, we've got Ruth Davidson and Sajid Javid. I think they'd be brilliant, but um, and that would attract lots of young people to the party, I think. But I'm not sure if they're the right choices for us. Bearing in mind we voted to leave, I think I think we really need to put a Brexiteer or a sceptic, in charge. Um, you know. Theresa Theresa May and I think Andrea Leadsom dropped out with the whole row of when she said Theresa May didn't have children and things. I think Andrea Leadsom would have been much better a much better choice then. But in, I mean, in terms of who would vote for, I really don't know actually. Um, I would I, I would love to see Ruth Davidson in charge if we if we voted to remain. But in terms of voting for leave, I mean, I think we've put somebody in charge like Boris Johnson. Or J- Jacob Rees-Mogg has gone as a as a. Said he doesn't want to be part of, a, part of the run-in for leader. I would, wouldn't want any of those two anyway. They, they just push, push young people away from the party, I think. Yeah. Um, I really don't know. That's a very difficult question. I, I can't answer that simply, to be honest with you there.
0: Yeah, well, um, we're here on Keeping It Current. Um, last week, we did a bit on Ruth Davidson. As, mm-hmm. um, Jacob Reed, so you a very big canvasser of hers. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, so his checks coming in, in the post as well. From the conservative party okay so um out of all the conservative mps who's your favorite
2: oh well um my favorite uh, conservative politician isn't actually an mp he's an m-e-p member of european parliament uh, uh daniel Hannan is a member of european parliament for southeast england um i kind of associate a lot of my beliefs with him of course i'm not a conservative with a big c a uh, hold lot of libertarian views uh, as does he um, so he's, he's a soft Eurosceptic, mm-hmm. as I am, um, I'd like to see the EU abolished and us having lots of different kind of uh, body, independent bodies, like an yeah. education body, so obviously our students can go and study in Germany or France, yeah. whichever European country yeah. they want yes. to, and a trading bloc, um, and possibly an, an assembly so we can go and discuss our issues but not having, not having an overriding body that, could, that can take precedence over our own laws. Um, but yeah, da- Dan Hannan, Daniel Hannan's my favourite MP. Like me, he's strongly against socialism. He's an ultra-capitalist. Um, I think he supports the death penalty, which I do to a certain extent. Uh, that- that's a conservative view with a very big C there. Uh, if-, if you don't actually know what conservatism with a big C and a little C means, conservatism with a little C is kind of a much more progressive. Conservatism with a big C is traditionalist views, uh, which we do hold some off. But um, I would say I would class myself as kind of a, a one-nation conservative, much more of a progressive, really. Yes. Um, and obviously, I, I'm all for privatisation. I mean, a lot of a lot of young people, especially who I know, regularly get trains, say that you know it really needs nationalised. But nationalisation, this is the thing with socialism again. It, it's not always the answer to systemic change. You've got to work around those issues. We've got to see if we can, um, of course, like put tariffs and things on yeah. these on these. Um, Companies rather than just nationalising it straight away, and say, okay, bring bring your bring your, um the prices you're charging for tickets down. Come to a come to a conclusion.
0: Yeah, so I, I understand what you said about the European Union mm-hmm. man, because the, the exact words are European Union, yeah. and it doesn't feel yeah. like it's a union of countries. No, it feels certainly like. Not. Say if you how uh, come up with a, yeah. another little analogy here? Oh, God. It's like <laughs> here we go. I what this the is European mean. Union, it's just like. So, like, you've got a football player who's like out, is like bigger than the football club. Yeah. Yeah, so you just gotta yeah. say, like, say, like, uh, as for example, you say, like, you've got a massive, ego, you say, like, Cristiano Ronaldo for someone. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's bigger. He, he's more renowned around the world than his yes. football club. Yeah, oh, so yeah. In the like, so, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, obviously the, the EU are like more renowned than some of these countries that are in the EU. That's what I've got to say. And on to, well, I'm talking about the EU, so uh, finally, what are your opinions on the current state of the country?
2: Well, um, we've finally got back our sovereignty. Theresa May, in a few months' time, will hopefully be our prime minister. I mean, we've had Guy Verhofstadt and John Claude Juncker for the last few years. Um, but we're, we're in a right state, aren't we? Um, and I think the answer a lot of young people, again, give to that is that, why don't we just remain? Mm-hmm. And the people made a made a democratic decision. A democratic vote was held. Um, obviously, there was only a two percent majority. Fifty-two yeah. percent of people voted voted to leave the European Union. Um, and of course, those allegations that the Leave Leave campaign lied and um, also went far above the budget they had to spend. Um, but the Remain campaign, they told a lot of lies as well. Um, I'm, I'm not denying that the Leave campaign was, uh, was much better and much moral, actually, if you want to say, much more moral. Um, but I think what... I've heard even a lot of Eurocrats um, mm. saying that, you know, we're, we're better off in the European Union and possibly long-term, we're actually better off leaving. And yes, long-term, we could be better off leaving, but let's say... They go for the easy, the easy decision and that it's easier to remain in the European yeah. Union. Um, yeah. I'd love us to kind of be a role model for Denmark and Italy, and I think Greece as well, who are, who are really, really desperate to leave. Because I think we, all countries would be, would be better off without the European Union in the first place. I mean, you, you say about it being a European Union, Guy Verhofstadt said that we should get rid of independent sovereign states. He wants the, the EU to become kind of a federation, a confederation. We already yeah. are a confederation to a, to a certain extent because they take precedence over, over a sovereign nation's laws.
0: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying there, especially when you're talking about Brexit there. Mm-hmm. You know, like, say, uh, I think you could kind of blame it on the government, the fact that they yes, gave them the very a very yeah. simple yes-no uh-huh. question, mm-hmm. which is, is kind of undermines the... the Huge yeah, you could go for hard
2: Brexit, soft Brexit, yeah, and of, medium Brexit. Of the,
0: of the um, Brexit, the whole mm-hmm. Brexit thing, it's just, it's very, very, it's, it's a lot more complicated yeah, it's than wishy
2: washy, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's just like, obviously, you talk about lots of murky areas in the uh, British Constitution, yes, but there was yeah. a very murky area in that Brexit referendum. <sighs> so, <didn't I>? yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yes, now it's time for a political Would You Rather? Are you ready? <sighs> Hopefully we'll have to we'll have to see. Okay, David Cameron
2: or Theresa May? Oh, David Cameron. David oh. Cameron. I think. He, I don't know. I think he'd cope better in these uh, in these times of Brexit if he was Prime Minister. Although he was pro EU as well. Um, but uh, Theresa May's still doing an okay job. I mean, she's getting a lot of abuse, and I think that's down just a lot of it's down to the fact that she's a woman, as well. Oh, yeah, oh. yeah, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay,
2: so Nigel Farage or David Davis? Ah, they're both hard Euro-sceptics, aren't they? Um, I would have to say Nigel Farage on that one. He did tell a lot of lies in the in the um, in, in the campaign to leave the EU, uh, the three hundred fifty million next to the NHS, which which a lot, a lot of people say, no, oh, yeah, it's it's a guideline, but they shouldn't have said that. But David Davies really. Um, doesn't know what he's doing. I don't, I don't want to expand on that too much, unless I'll go off on a rant.
0: <laughs> okay, so Vince Cable or Tim Farron? Oh,
2: no. Oh. Uh, Vince Cable, uh, they're both really nice men. Um, they're nice enough guys. Um, down to the fact that Tim Farron actually is part of Lib Dempsey, just simply don't think the fact that he did describe himself as a Eurosceptic to a certain extent, although he did um, campaign to remain. I would have to say Tim Farron on that one. And, and he's, a, he's a Northerner as well. He's from up here, yeah. he's from the yeah. Northwest. I don't think you'll like this next one
0: oh, God. Ed Miliband on Jeremy Corbyn.
2: Oh. <laughs> well, Jeremy Corbyn is way too far left. He's a disgusting socialist that has not honoured the, uh, the soldiers that fought for the freedom we have to t- for t- today. Um, Ed Miliband did do that, and he supposedly was more centrist. Um, Ed Miliband, I didn't particularly mind his political views as much as Jeremy Corbyn. Um, Simply down on that, I'd have to say Ed Miliband. (laughs) Any of the previous politicians you've mentioned, I would say are better than them two.
0: And you won't like the next one either. Tony Blair or Gordon Brown?
2: Thomas, are you killing me here? (laughs) Okay. um... Apart from the fact that Tony Blair was a war criminal, he destroyed Iraq, destroyed the buildings in Iraq, wrecked people's lives in Iraq, stole all the natural resources from Iraq. Um, uh, hmm. He did increase political diversity, you know, the Blair's babes thing, uh, where, where he took uh, much more women um, into parliament. There was one disabled MP as well, which is really good. Um, Gordon Brown, um, two words, the debt, <laughs> the deficit. Um, so I'd simply have to go for for Tony Blair off that. Oh, okay.
0: So uh, Boris Johnson or Jacob
2: Rees-Mogg? <sighs> uh, um, Jacob Rees-Mogg. I, can, I, can. Um, I think he's just more level-headed yeah. and uh, more straightforward, <laughs> straight-talking. I don't like his political views too much. But he, uh, he talks sense. Yeah. Philip Hammond or George Osborne? Ah, um, <sighs> Philip Hammond. He doesn't. He knows what he's doing. I think he's a clever man. Um, you actually mentioned before about uh, who I'd vote for in the leadership election. I wouldn't actually particularly mind Philip Hammond, to be honest with you. Um, he wouldn't attract the youth, but he, I think he knows what he's doing. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a clever guy. Um, George Osborne, though. Me being a libertarian when he raised those taxes, I, I remember when my dad said, when he raised the taxes, my dad said, this is stealing. <laughs> so, I'd have to say, um, George Osborne, definitely not on that one.
0: Philip Hammond,
2: Philip Hammond, yeah.
0: Okay. Sadiq Khan or Diane Abbott?
2: Well, <laughs> uh, um, I think the com- complete opposite of Philip Hammond there, they really don't know what they're doing. Uh, um, Diane Abbott, what, uh, to what extent can I go to stress that, uh, oh my, really, I can't, uh, right, okay, so Sadiq Khan has recently spent 1.7 million on fountains instead of police. I think that sums him up, really. Uh, um, uh, Diane Abbott, I don't know too much about Diane Abbott except for she's, she's portrayed by right-wing media, which I look at as a complete fool, um, But uh, whether that's to trust or not, but simply a f- thing Sadiq Khan does, the things Sadiq Khan said, I, t- I can't believe I'm ever saying this, I have to favour Diane Abbott and that's the last time in my life I'll be favouring Diane Abbott over anybody, unless it's someone like Joseph Stalin <laughs> or Adolf Hitler. <laughs>
0: Alex Salmond or Nicholas Sturgeon? Oh,
2: goodness, well, um, I'm a British Unionist. <laughs> Irish Republicans, uh, still respect you there. I don't, I don't mean it in a in a uh, violent term there. Uh, so I support uh, a United Kingdom, and they're both Scottish separatists. Um... Alex Salmon, he got into a lot of trouble a while ago, and Nicola Sturgeon, I think, I think, she, I think she's a clever person as, as part, of, apart from being a politician, I think she's a, she's a clever person again. And you can, I've been saying that about a lot of uh, these. Would you rather's here? A, a big thing I look for is kind of personality and transparency. So I'd have to say Nicola Sturgeon there actually. Um, I think I, I respect her in that she, she stands up mm-hmm. for what she believes mm-hmm. in proudly, and she never really kind of loses it with people yeah. who are in complete opposition to her. Mm-hmm. She's always, she always stays level-headed again. And I, th- I think she's a... Obviously, that she attracted a lot of young people to vote for the SNP who weren't even Scottish nationalists. Um, I respect her a lot in that. There we go.
0: Going back a bit of a while here. Mm-hmm.
2: We're going mm-hmm. to John Major or William Hague. Oh. <laughs> I think definitely John Major there. Um, I think... William Hague wasn't the right man for the job at the time. I'd have absolutely loved to have seen Michael Portillo as the leader of the uh, Conservative Party. I'd have absolutely loved it. I mean, one of his his famous quote is, you know, the SAS. um, Who dares wins? We are the Conservatives. We dare. We win. I absolutely love that. Uh, I think Michael Portillo would have been so solid. And he's a youth sceptic as well. Um, But I'd have to say... (laughs) I'd have to say John Major there. Definitely not William Hague. I think John... John Major, although he was, he was the one that uh, kind of led Labour on to getting a landslide victory in 97. But, um, yeah, John Major over William Hague.
0: OK, so that's it. Thank you very much to this week's special guest, Matthew Dean. It's been brilliant, thank you. Now it's time for questions from the listeners. the line! Call Oh my god, we're going to melt down Fan here! Panic stations! This is our first ever question. Here we go.
1: Three, two, one. Putting it onto speakerphone. Hello, you've reached oh. keeping it current.
0: Oh hi Thomas, it's William. And I was just wondering whether lowering the voting age will simply give um, the <laughs> continuous parents a second vote,
2: or will they actually have their own opinion?
0: Okay, thank you now William for that absolutely Fabulous question. I'm going to have to pass you on to uh, our political analyst, Jacob Reed, to answer that question.
1: Oh, well, I mean, t- William, it is a brilliant question. You have a questioner of the week. I think it's a very legitimate thing. You know, it's known that children tend to vote as their parents did uh, or at least you know to start out there is that strong influence if you're sitting around the dinner table eating pizza eating pasta on a friday night after a tough week at work and your parents are talking about politics they'll be giving their opinions and you'll be picking them up quite possibly so yes there is there is perhaps a worry that if you do Increase the voting age, I mean, decrease the voting age to 16 and 17-year-olds. But these people will just vote as their parents do, or as their parents told them to. And as you pointed out, William, giving the parents a second vote. But I think equally, you can see that if we do it right... um, if you introduce political education in schools, then there's no reason that young people can't form their own opinions uh, because we've seen, certainly, that there is a divide between the ages in opinions. So, I mean, I think we'd have to see it in
0: practice, but, um, but that, that's a very interesting question. Oh, thank you very much, William, for that absolutely magnificent question. And you have won the award of our question of the week. I mean, sorry, our only question of the week. Thank you very much to William! I was wondering if we could top the last episode, but we have, haven't we, Jacob? Well, I really...
1: I was sitting here. I hope you didn't hear me. I was sitting there, and I absolutely loved it. Equally, I will say I loved Mrs. Lawson's interview. Matthew and Mrs. Lawson, different kettle of fish. I, I'm sure you'd agree. That's my analysis, at least. But, yes, a very enjoyable episode.
0: Yeah. So, the next episode is on Brexit, which is <laughs> bound to be a good one. So, tune in to that one. If you have a question for me... Or for Jacob, you can email us at keepingitcurrent@outlook.com, all in lowercase. Sadly, that's the end of the show. A huge thank you to this week's special guest, Matthew Dean. And thank you, as always, to Jacob Reed. Thank you, Thomas, for not firing me. (laughs) Be sure to join us next time, where we won't be keeping it cool, but but we we will will be keeping keeping it current. current. Goodbye.